welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are here to record part three in our series, Long Gospel, A Lens for Life. If you have not listened uh, to the other two, uh, go ahead and keep listening. I don't think you will be lost. But you may want to go back afterwards and listen to the other two to kind of help you get a sense for where we've been. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and lay out a little bit of where we've been, and then we'll mention uh, the 1517 Network and um, other uh, housekeeping stuff like that. But this series has been looking at the various ways that people either uh, try to approach God or if God's not on their radar, um, that people try to find righteousness or um, peace, shalom, wholeness, uh, that people try to become good, however you want to define good. But the different routes that people take to trying to address the disunion um, that's built into life in a fallen world and built is built into our individual experience as fallen sinners. And so we began with biblical anthropology. We discussed um, original sin, the bound will, and our lack of original righteousness. So that the problem is not that the fall into sin has added something into the world, although right um, effects of sin have been added into the world but rather that we we lack something that we were originally created with. We lack original righteousness. And basically, um, human experience just testifies to this. People give it different terms. Uh, They address it in different ways. Um, But any religion or philosophy at its core tries to address this problem. We then looked at various approaches that people take. Um, Self-denial, withdrawal from the world or, or from the things of the world, which can lead to an undermining of God's good gift, um, or his good gifts, uh, which really um, is to some degree enmity toward creation. It's an unwillingness to forgive God um, for his creation, is how Bonhoeffer puts it. Um, And then we looked at an approach of super irrigation, of doing extra works to try to make up for what we we lack, which um, could be seen, for instance, in medieval monasticism, but it can also be seen and all sorts of different approaches to God. We looked at bargaining with God or a transactional approach to righteousness, um, and that can work both vertically or horizontally. We looked at politics, um, then economics, ideology, utopianism, uh, an approach that tries to remedy what we lack through political or economic approaches. We got a little bit into patriotism and nationalism, and and some of these things are not bad things in and of themselves. For instance, self-denial can be good for a while. Um, Fasting, for instance, can be helpful. The alcoholic probably should abstain um, from drink. Um, But uh, in patriotism, then, and and national pride are not necessarily inherently bad things. But we got in that a little bit into that with um, identity politics or finding our value in our identity, being with the right people, us first them. And that's what we're going to pick up in a little bit today. Um, Just a few things, though, before we make our way to the disclaimer and the main topic, we are going to forego the free-for-all again, since this is really one big episode uh, in three parts, I think we could say. Um, First, I want to give a shout-out to one of our fans. We had a live recording the other day here at the college, uh, the other week, I guess, and uh, we had a student who brought her little sister, and her little sister apparently enjoyed it and has been listening to the podcast. And then 
Mike and I uh, participated in a forum tonight. I really did enjoy it. Um, hopefully we get an, an invite again. We uh, participated with one other faculty member, a colleague, um, Dr. Jason Padura, who teaches um, political science, but students for political and civic engagement. And um, since uh, our student, Grace, had mentioned that uh, Mike and I were going to be there, this uh, little sister came again and sat in with a bunch of college students who um, I thought had very thoughtful questions and participated in what I hope was thoughtful discussion of political and civic engagement as a Christian. And so I want to give a shout out to Bella. Um, so Bella, we're glad if you are listening. Um, we're glad you have been listening and you are way beyond your years and I'm very impressed um, in your wanting to uh, go to, to college activities and learn. So um, Bella, you're the hero of the day and uh, I hope you you kind of keep up that uh, interest that you have. So, And Bella, you got to have your sister stop by Dr. Johnston's office and pick up some stickers or something yeah, for we'll you. Yeah, we'll have to, you some happy to give you some swag. Yeah, I think Mike had some too that he, he had mentioned. Then housekeeping, we are part of the 1517 Podcast Network. We'd encourage you to check that out, 1517.org, right, Peter? Correct. All sorts of resources that you can find there. Also encourage you to check out LetTheBirdFly.com. We have blog posts, devotions, all sorts of materials. Um it's getting to be a year and a half's worth of episodes, a number of Winging It sessions. We're currently doing a series on the life and thought of Martin Luther. We're 19 Winging It sessions in, and we're almost to 1520. Um, we're still in 1519. <laughs> but we're taking those. They're about a half hour at a time, and I have to say I've really been enjoying them. I know Mike has too. Um, it's been a good reason for us to do a fair amount of reading before and to be working through stuff that we also work through um, in the Luther class that we both teach here at the college. So check out LetTheBirdFly.com. As always, rate, review, subscribe. It's super appreciated, um, especially if you can rate and review on iTunes. We're well over 100 now. Our goal for this coming October was 100, and you guys blew that away, so you're awesome. We appreciate it. And subscribing just is, is a big help for us, too. Um, as always, if you can share episodes, if you find something particularly helpful, we do very much appreciate it. Um, today was opening day in baseball. And uh, the Brewers played the Cardinals, and um, Mike Berg, who is an important part of this podcast, a, a longtime guest, a recurring guest um, <laughs> on the podcast, is, is not here, but he actually went to opening day. And I took a picture, and I sent it to uh, Peter and Ben of Mike teaching today. He was wearing a Cardinals shirt. Um, and I'll note, Peter, at the forum tonight, Mike was not wearing a Cardinals shirt. He had changed. He was wearing a button-down white and blue type plaid shirt. Um, this is a very nice shirt. But uh, Mike, maybe if you can just, or Peter, maybe if you can just briefly, uh, what happened in that game today? Well, I'm, I was just wondering. I was going to ask you, you know, what what would have changed that he would have, you know, had a would have required a wardrobe change. But then I did remember the game did end um, with a Brewers winning opening day at home, uh, and in it front looked of a like the Cardinals crowd. were going to tie it. There was a, Man, a home was, run. I it mean, was, it was clearly a, home a home run. run. Yeah, hit the center field, and uh, Lorenzo Cain goes up and pulls it right off of the fence and brings it down to. Uh, and so instead of having the game being tied or possibly or they would have gone ahead by one. I think there's a runner on. Yeah. They um, they ended the game. That was it. That and, was the end. And, and so, I have to picture Mike um, sitting next to front of the show, John Bordelin. Um, Mike probably left his seat a little bit, you know, exultant that the game was going to be tied. <laughs> and that just had to be a, uh, a tough feeling. And so we sympathize with Mike. 
And then Mike had told us, he originally suggested this time for recording. We are recording at 9 p.m. on a Wednesday night or Thursday night. Um, and then all of a sudden he was busy. He couldn't make it. He had an obligation. And it turns out Michigan's playing right now in the Sweet 16. And uh, Mike did not positively answer that that's why he was busy. Um, but he did give a smile that clearly indicated he did not want to answer. Um so I'm going to go ahead and say, until they play Michigan State, go blue. It would be a really rough day for Mike to have the Cardinals lose opening day to the Brewers and, and Michigan, have Michigan Sweet lose. Sweet 16 dropout. So yeah. it's just Peter and I today. Um, Peter has been in on the other two episodes, and I think uh, we'll be able to build on a lot of the back and forth we've had. We'll just have to throw in a few vocation and physicality things <clears throat> for the sake of Mike. We'll, we'll manage. Yeah, manage. so forsaking the free-for-all, uh, Peter, why don't you give us the disclaimer and we can make our way to the main yeah, topic. Yeah, real quick, I wanted to throw out one thing about 1517, not specifically the podcast network, but we've talked on a number of episodes that Virtue in the Wasteland called it quits. They're moving on to other things, and so I wanted to just highlight one of the things that uh, Dr. Um, Dan Van Voris is, is doing with 1517. He's doing a with 1517 Academy a Reformation, a Protestant Reformation course. So it's it's looks like it's entitled "Discover the Complex and Fascinating World of the Pro- Protestant Ref- Protestant Reformation." Excuse me, covering topics like the world on the eve of the Reformation, piety and painting, intellectual foundations of the Reformation, the rural and radical Reformation, and so much more. So, if you're we've we've mentioned that they're moving on to other pro- projects. If you're interested in that, I'm pretty sure it's a free course it that 1517 is yeah. offering. So go run and over there and sign do, up. There are, I believe, quizzes and stuff you can do if you want, but you don't have to. Um, they've done a, several. Rod Rosenblatt did one on Galatians. Um, Adam Francisco from the Thinking Fellows yep. did one on apologetics, and um, they're very well done. And I mean, this is uh, anyone is will be able to follow along. But you're you're basically getting. For free, whatever credit hours you could be uh, paying to sit in these college professors' classrooms, so I highly recommend it. Yeah, so go run over there and check that out, and you, it'll it'll be. Well, don't run, just click. Just click, I suppose. Yeah, but it's uh, it'll probably be on the the um, the front page if you're if you're listening to this and you know spring of 2018. I'm guessing it'll still be up there. 2019, Peter. 19. Oh man, I'm losing it today. Okay, so disclaimer. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers, to be honest. Much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. So if you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you're just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live freely, friends, and don't let us... us to our main topic and I wanted to pick up a little bit where we left off last time um, the image I have at this point in the PowerPoint has people kind of a uh, goose stepping with a, a flag that says nationalism off a cliff and the leaders saying follow me yeah it uh which is clearly a bad idea but everybody's going along um, but this doesn't have to be nationalism per se but it can it can exhibit itself in nationalism and patriotism but what I'm getting at especially here is the idea to find one's purpose one's value 
one's righteousness, one's goodness, one's wholeness um, in being part of the right group in one's identity. And almost always that identity is going to be crafted, right? We're going to take a concept and build on it or even invent a concept. And I think I talked a little bit last time about, for instance, you know, white nationalism. Well, what does it mean to be white? Um, race is really an enlightenment construct, um, but, you know, we can imbue that word white with all sorts of positive or negative things, depending on the point in history and how you're using it. And uh, I think um, what this does is it inevitably has to make an us and them. It inevitably has to draw a line. And I mentioned last time, usually whenever we draw a line, Christ steps across it, right? That's just the, the nature of Jesus. That's how he rolls. But I mentioned that I wanted to get a little bit into the baptismal aspect of this and how really um, Christianity rules this out as a, it finds it problematic in almost every instance. Um, not that patriotism is bad, but it can become bad. And these attempts at uh, finding value in identity or identity politics become problematic because in the end, um, and really we can do an episode on what Mike and I had today that forum. It, there was some really good stuff, I thought. But um, in the end, the Christian has one allegiance, and that's to Christ. And the Christian has one identity, and that's baptismal. And if my allegiance is to Christ, well, where does Christ say that I serve him, and where is he? I don't mean in a sacramental way, so not in a salvific way. But he says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did to me. Um, we find Christ, we serve Christ in the person of our neighbor, and so if my allegiance is to Christ, my allegiance then necessarily is to my neighbor, which makes that us-them just an untenable thing for the Christian. But I think this is a very strong temptation for the church that the church easily falls into um, because as church, we are an us, right? There is a thing to being church. You are part of a community, um, and then we're, you know, hidden church. We're part of the body of, of Christ. Um, but this, this sense of identity will always fall short. Um, it's always unable to, uh, to meet, uh, to, to fill that lack, that void we have. Um, because the horizons of that identity are always going to be limited, right? Identity now draws a circle and I have to, um, I have to live within it, which cuts me both off from neighbor, but also it cuts me off from much of, of life. And so, uh, and also, uh, much go of ahead. I was just going to throw it to you, cause, but that's my, my concern with this one that I wanted to unpack a little bit. Go ahead right. Here. And I think one of the other problems when, when you're creating this identity, this us, them thing is it cuts, cuts you off from part of yourself as well. You mentioned, you know, on the last episode that, you know, you could, you could identify yourself as a, a white heterosexual male, but that, that, fails to encapsulate or fails to account for so much of what weight is right right um and that that really the the individual is lost in yep. in that and i don't mean that in the sense that oh if, they, if, you, if you're in a group you don't you don't have individualism i mean like i might bristle at that personally because of my you know personal you know philosophical and political you know positions like that but that, this is something but baptismal that doesn't have again, to be that though, way too, that, yeah. right that i God does deal with me individually through the means right. of grace. And that, and that as an individual, that becomes really important, right? And it reminds me of an episode we did a while ago, um, early on, um, 
when you were talking in Mark's gospel when it's the and Peter, right? Yep. The and Peter, it's the individual, right? That Christ is speaking to the individual, that the, that the gospel message itself is for the individual. Right. So. And justification in the end is ultimately individual too. We can talk about objective justification, um, the universal nature of Christ's work, but in the end, justification by faith, right, through faith, uh, is an individual thing. It's God through preaching, through the means of grace, um, interacting with the individual. And I think the danger, too, in cutting oneself off from one's neighbor, um, the us then undermines the universality of Christ's work, but it also undermines um, the fact of of how Christ loves. And and so I've been rereading Bonhoeffer's Ethics, and it's really got me thinking a lot. Um, But uh, whether or not my neighbor's a Christian, whether or not my my neighbor um, agrees with me politically, my neighbor has been taken up in Christ, whether my neighbor believes it or not, right? And if that is how Christ loved, and if Christ saved us when we were yet enemies of him, if he justifies the ungodly, there's a um, a disconnect then in, in functioning in that way and finding one's value um, through that lens, uh, and, and this notion of the right people and the wrong people then also seems to uh, not sit well with the Gospels when Jesus often intentionally, and we've been going through Mark's Gospel at Nain, uh, puts himself in the company of the wrong people or uses the wrong people as examples of, um, positive examples of, of service to neighbor um, in the gospel. So I just, I wanted to come back to that. And I don't know if you have anything more on that, Peter, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that that's, that, that, that covers it. I mean, what I was, what I was getting at. So, well, good. The, the next I have there is technology and maybe we won't spend as, as long on this, but this could be an episode in its own right too. But I think we see in our day, um, a, uh, growing sense of people finding their identity and their righteousness through technology but also people having rather eschatological hopes, right? Like end times are of a better age through technology too. You know, it's really interesting. I've been reading a lot on kind of the growth of um, technology, social media, AI. And a lot of the people who are behind um, these things, whether it be Google, Facebook, have very high hopes for what artificial intelligence will be capable of doing and you have some who would go so far now even to speak about you know one day you're going to upload your consciousness Mm -hmm. and in that way you will live forever um or that true human connectivity will be found um through technology um but this could apply to medical technology too this idea of one day we're gonna um get past death right we're gonna um find the fountain of youth and there's a reason that you know, across cultural and religious lines, this fountain of youth is a theme that will appear. Um, yeah, let me let me riff on that for a little bit because yeah. so a couple of things. First of all, um, go back and listen to our episode with um, uh, Dr. Davis on science fiction. Yep. Guys Get Sci-Fi, I think is what it's called. Um, we talked about um, a specific, um, bat- the prequel to Battlestar Galactica um, for the nerds out there um, was uh, Caprica. And this if you watch that, it's a it's one season series because or show because it got it got canceled after that. But if you watch that and you do not feel like they're doing something religious there, I, I don't I don't know what to say. That is, I mean, that's kind of the whole point. And they and what the premise is is that they they're the 
the show is going through the, the, the time when consciousness is being uploaded into you know the cloud and then ultimately into a machine that is in the physical world from the cloud. So, so you have you know like kind of the completed circle and there's it's it's so religious. I mean, there's yep. so much there. So yep. that I mean, that's one thing. The other thing you mentioned, like the fountain of youth, the whole technology comes this 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 trust and this faith and this optimism of technology towards progress comes out of um, the early modern era and this idea that we can make that that progress itself is is a good it's a good in itself Um, and and this comes out of right this is um, when you get this kind of um, Jewish Christian way of thinking in a linear way and Augustine's big on this of thinking of history in a linear way and there's ages this, that the Enlightenment, without even meaning so, would bring that into its notions of progress makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, and it's a break from the from Europe previously, from Middle Ages um, in Europe, where things are not seen linearly in that way. And you could say, well, what do you mean? Like the don't years follow years, and they, they're linear. But this idea of progress that things are that they are changing and getting better yep. that they're that they're building on themselves in the Enlightenment, you all of a sudden look back and you kind of re-see Western history in particular and say, wait a second, this is all getting better. And you've got in the philosophical movements, you have the the burgeoning uh, modern science going on. And we did an episode on Francis Bacon a long time yeah. ago too. Actually, where, we almost went to New Atlantis in this episode, but yeah, oh. we just had the students read that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. And so, I mean, that, I mean, he's, he embraces it entirely. He says progress is the goal, but what is he, and this is where I'm kind of trying to get back to the fountain of youth. What does he say is he says, maybe we can even alleviate death, right? It's about getting rid of sickness, ailments, even death. And he throws that out there at a, at a few different places. And that's maybe, maybe that's not as shocking to you know one of our listeners. You say like, well, yeah, wouldn't that be the goal? But this is a shocking, like, claim to be making it is for me still but at that time yeah. certainly to say what are you talking about alleviate death that doesn't that doesn't really make sense but then you look at what's going on outside of science itself the explorers at that same time they're going you know they find the new world they're like yeah. oh i bet the fountain of youth is over here yeah right that's got it's got to exist and so we've got this we have this kind of baked into us somehow into our into into who we are that we want to get to that better thing. And modern science says we're getting there. It's yep. a process and we're getting there. And technology embraces that. And in fact, you could, you could make the argument that technology has basically said, all right, we're going, to, we're going to take that hypothesis that things are getting better and we're going to act upon that hypothesis. So yep. that means that we're, we're going to start developing now and in 18 months, we are going to assume that things are going to be twice as fast and twice as cheap, and that's going to keep happening. And so we're going to develop in with that hypothesis, treating it as fact. And it's kind of striking all of a sudden how, I mean, you're, you have to put faith in this system. And when you do that, things change. So then I go back to... And it's to, a different view of the human too, right? They believe there's... There's humanity 2.0, right? right? Well, yeah. and that's what I see, and that's why I go back to this the sci-fi series Eden, Caprica. Yeah. Is that in, in Caprica they're 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 completing that circle where consciousness is coming back into a machine into the physical world, and now all of a sudden we have to ask ourselves the question: Is this 
a human being. What, what, you know, and I mean, as Christians, we might say, is this, is this an ensouled creature, right? Does this creature have a soul? Um, because that is going to change drastically how we treat it. Yep. And then you have to, then you're asking the questions, well, what does it mean to have a soul? And if you break, a, break away from the Christian paradigm, I mean, that becomes a really tricky question. Yep. What does that, what does that even mean? And I think even in the, within and the Christian that, and, paradigm, and having it's a soul is one of the few things that has kept human beings from even worse, being worse than they are. The recognition <laughs> that we all have souls has at least tempered the cruelty with which we treat each and, other. And think about this in the context of the dignity of the human being, the dignity of the individual, these sorts of, these sorts of discussions. These are not... that. Christianity does not have a corner on that market. Right. This is this is something that some of the best atheists will say. No, the highest thing is the human in, is the human individual, and that has to be respected above everything. This is why you have people adamantly opposed to um, things like war and the death penalty. That they because not because they just you know are bleeding hearts that that you know can't you know can't formulate the complete thought. It's because they're saying no. This is the this is the highest point. And this is why, you know, for Christians out there, it should also kind of shake you a little bit. You should dub, you should ask these questions again. Um, I had a friend, a good friend who once told me, must've been in college at the time, maybe high school. Um, he's a high school friend. Um, then through college, we, we, ne we never went to the same school, but we spent a lot of time together. He told me one time, he said, you know, the, my, my problem with, uh, with Christians, and he's a, he's a Christian as well, he's a Lutheran, he's a pastor actually now, um, he said, my problem with, with the Christian position on, in, in American politics on um, abortion and then capital punishment is that we, we fail to be consistent. We say that life is so important for, um, you know, for the unborn, but that when we come to capital punishment, we say, well, you know, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. They, you know, God says they have the right, um, the government has the right. He said, but, you know, if you are of maybe a more reformed mindset, that might be easier to square. But as a Lutheran, that's really hard to square. We, we, you know, we, we look at it and say, no, it's, we expect everyone to be sinners. You know, when yep. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, we take that seriously. That, you know, he looks at that and says he, he believes that. He knows his sins better than anyone. And we should also look at ourselves and see that and recognize that that, that doesn't, that doesn't, take away from the, the grace that God promises us and that God freely gives to us. Right. So that those two, you know, opposite ends, he, he brought that to me and it, and it kind of, it really made me rethink a lot of, a lot of my just assumptions that had just been oh. given to me, things that I'd kind of grown up with. And, you know, when, whenever we, whenever we're dealing with life and death matters, literally, I think we, we it would do us well to stop, slow down and just reconsider it you know, try to take our um, pre presuppositions and our prejudices out of it and decide, hey, what's what's really going on here? So I'm getting a little far afield of technology here, but... No, I think it, it does tie in... Um, I'm not going to go on how uh, capitalism could have only developed in the West, but um, <laughs> that will be another episode. But there is something, too, um, with the Enlightenment movement, especially um, freeing people from... Well, if you have a more circular view of life and what goes around comes around and karma, whatever, I'm going to be more hesitant to exploit you now because it's going to come back to me later. Mm -hmm. um, the linear view does kind of say I can, if I, I might get away with exploiting you now and it's never going to come back around. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and I think that's where you can see some of the cruelties that actually develop out of the Enlightenment as well. We, we tend to think of the Enlightenment as, as reason. We forget that, like, you know, the, the true Enlightenment revolution was the French Revolution, and it had what was called a reign of terror, right? Um, <laughs> we, and, and we did get such wonderful inventions as the guillotine out of it, exactly, though. Exactly, so. a very humane way to, uh, to kill people. Um, a couple things to get to with technology then. Um, but I'm going to go to social media with this and, and how people can find their value um, through social media and how that can become a problematic thing. And that's something I've really pulled back a lot from lately. I've, I've personally been off Facebook unless I'm up, uploading podcasting stuff. And uh, um, I do sports updates on there because uh, Grandma will be upset if she doesn't get them. Um, and it's not something that I won't necessarily get back to at some point. But there is something to... Um, the imaging that social media does with us, um, where we feel the need to project an image or um, to reflect an image. Um, but also, uh, I mean, there's studies, right? You get a release of dopamine when you get likes, <clears throat> when you get follows. This can even play into temptation with the podcast where I, I find myself looking less at numbers lately, even with this, because there can be something too, right? That feedback um, that somehow I'm going to find my value in that. And I find it interesting, I'll use Instagram as an example, um, that social media becomes this way then to project my image, to project my goodness, to project my righteousness, and then to be affirmed in it, right, by, by people. Mm-hmm. But I think if anything um, shows that at the end of the day, whether you want to call it original sin or if we want to say Hobbes was right when it comes to philosophy, um, mankind's not as great as we think it is because what did Instagram eventually decide to come up with is filters, Right where it even recognized people are going to want to filter um, to help make themselves look better. And that might be making me look better in a picture. Now, they, I don't think they have like a filter that will take the weight off that I would like to take <laughs> off. But, um, but we can really um, think of profile pictures and how people will change their profile picture to the event or issue of the day. And they now feel part of something. They're on the right side of history or of this issue. Um, they're good because of this. And uh, technology and many, uh, you know, think of many of the early hopes of the internet. It's going to connect people. We're going to have access to information. There's going to be all kinds of great exchanges of thought. I um, mean, in many ways, it's only exacerbated um, echo chambers, polarized, uh, and made us more artificial, and in many ways, also commodified us. And this is a concern I have in general with education as well. And, and this is also, I don't want to bash on capitalism. And I, there's, I, I have an iPhone, right? I, my wife is, capitalism has served her very well, right? Um, she makes more than me and, and I think that's great. Um, I'm looking forward to like, you know, the house is empty a lot of the day. Like if one more raise and maybe I can make sure the house is protected, you know, and, and retire and, you know, I'll probably play a little PlayStation while I'm making sure the house is protected. <laughs> um, but a lot of people, even how they look at education, um, will look at it as, well, what is it going to get? What is, for instance, think of businesses say this is what we need. High schools reshape their curriculum, and then colleges become what you need to get that job, to be the person the business Those, wants. These hand, these hand gestures are are off the chart right they're now. They're very I explanatory, mean, though. You, so Wade's standing up, and he, he raises one hand up like like he's Caesar or something with his other hand by his chest, and then he like comes down in front of him, and then he moves to the other side with yeah. the other hand going up in the air. I mean, this is... It was the funnel. This is, yeah. This 
But what what um what social media really does is it commodifies us, right? We're as good as our following. We're as good as the likes that we get. We're as good as our appearance or whatever side of the issue we're on. And we cease to be an individual who has value as an individual. We cease even really in many ways to be free thinkers because anyone who's on social media much is a liar if they say they never think about how what they say will be received. Um, and, and so I think this is a, a problematic aspect of it that at the end of the day doesn't fulfill anything we're lacking. In many ways, it almost just exacerbates our sense of that lacking. Right, it empties us out, right? And, yeah. and in the same way, I would argue that the um, the identity movements, we one of the problems is that we draw we, we draw an identity around us and that, that limits us, right? Um, so we, we aren't fully who we are then. In the same way with social media, I think we, we create this this picture that we want to for the world this is who i am this is you know this is what i do so i'm going to show you only the parts that i want and i'm going to shape it and craft it and some people are really good at this and you just read it you don't even it doesn't even dawn on you that there's all kinds of all kinds of items that have been filtered out of this narrative and some people are terrible at it and you read it and you're like this isn't even this isn't even close to believable but everyone, everyone's doing it, and it's kind of the nature of that of that beast. And I think it empties us out because it uh, it it exacerbates the lie that we want to tell ourselves, which gets us right back to the whole. We're trying to justify ourselves, and we're falling short of that. We're constantly falling short of that, and it keeps whether we're whether we're trying to do extra works through super irrigation, whether we're we're trying to bargain with God. We're always feeling like we can't quite get to where we need to be, and I feel like. When we get to social media, where we where we can create a separate identity that's out there, you know, um, that the the world that we can shape for the world and doesn't have to see our foibles, um, we we create a mirror that looks back at us and tells us some pretty awful things. Not necessarily awful in the sense that oh man, if 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 everyone else knew this, awful for ourselves, yeah. awful for what it does to us. Because you know that, you're not that that pit, that hole, that emptiness just just eats at you then and. I mean, I say this from, you know, from personal experience and I've never been much into, into social media and every time that I've kind of, you know, dabbled in it here and there, that's, that's immediately, I think like, I don't want to sit here and just tell a, you know, tell a, a lie or a half truth. Um, you know, I would love to keep up with my friends that I don't get to see. Right. Um, and, and that, you know, and see what they're doing, but it's, it's too it's too dark for me personally, and so I've just kind of, you know, yeah. and it becomes, and I've, I, I mean, I'm as, as guilty of this as anybody. It becomes a, a parade of self righteousness, yeah. right? Um, and 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 the worst part of it is we know it's fake. It's self fake righteousness. Um, I think you know another thing that we get with technology too, that comes to under underappreciate God's creation and His good gifts, is that technology and social media also limit our exposure to um, all that is God has made and that is good and limit our exposure to our neighbor. We come to know our neighbor in a very artificial way. Um, we get exposed to the neighbors that we choose to be exposed to or that um, these companies choose to expose us to. One of the early things people were very hopeful with was uh, with Google scanning all kinds of books and openly breaking copyright, especially early on <clears throat> with blatant disregard. Was oh we're gonna have we're gonna have more exposure than ever before to all these texts. No, what Google wanted you to have was to exposure was exposure to pieces of these texts that then become uh, separated from their actual corp corporal being, right? Their whole 
and um, rearranged. And so what it also then does is it it disconnects God's creation. It disconnects um, God's good gift. It, it, it disconnects our thoughts. It disconnects our relationships. Um, and so what's really is was intended as a, an attempt to kind of reverse Babel, right, to bring, bring people together all across the world and um, has, has, in the end, maybe made us more disconnected than we've ever, ever been before. And, and so, you know, one of my fears is uh, that we would cure death. Um, and <laughs> and uh, that, that what this new humanity would hold, and I think this is where sci-fi, to go back to Dr. Davis's episode, becomes so interesting is um, there's a reason so much sci-fi ends up dystopian. Mm-hmm. Um, is this new humanity, right? It's a promise of paradise. Uh, a new Eden um, is maybe not nearly as human as we think it will will be. You know, we lose something of our humanity. And even in this attempt to re-image... Or maybe it's, or maybe we, it's all too human, right? I mean, like yeah, maybe, maybe what happens is you kind of work through that exercise that, you know, that sci-fi gives us that space to do. Um, you start saying, oh, well, if we really take this to its logical conclusion... Do we do we end in a in a much worse place than we are right now? In other words, are we much worse at heart, at root than right. than what yeah. we expect? And I think that that goes back to the whole social media thing. I mean, I think that I think we are. I mean, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we yeah. find that things get pretty ugly um, when people say something like, "Well, how could how could there be someone like a Hitler?" Right? Um, it, I, I I sometimes think, how is it that there haven't been more? Exactly. Right. Yep. I mean, that that's maybe the more surprising part of all this. Yeah, and I think in the imaging thing too, something that becomes problematic from the Christian perspective is we know as Christians we are in the image of God, right? And, and I would I would encourage people to go back to the Adam Morton episode again on uh, on Genesis 1. He was very good on this, right? Mm-hmm. That the image of God um, had very clear um, connotations in that day of, right, this is, um, right, we're, well, and this even gets universal priesthood, but, right, we are, we are, you know, the image of gods otherwise was wooden idols or the priests of that religion or the king. Um, the value we have in the image of God, well, when we feel the need to re-image, um, we're going from union to disunion, right? Both internal union to disunion, um, but then also uh, with the world. Yeah. One of the things Adam said in that episode that always rings with me is that he said... About God, uh, Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, that, that too. He said... Um, uh, God, God says, um, "You don't image me; I image myself." Yep. Yep. Right, and that, that, like that statement, I think was that was really powerful. It's kind of one of those that just kind of keeps rolling around in the back of my mind and thinking, like, "Yeah, that's a that's a great way to yep. do it." But what and, do, and I what think do that we was tr- still one of our best episodes? Yeah, and what do we what do we try to do? We try to image God. We try to create our own image. We try to like we try, we try, we try, we try. And God says, you don't do it, I do it. And I think it, it applies to what we're talking about right now. All these different ways that we use the law to try and get to some place, I know not where, I just know it's not right right now, we fall short. That's because we're the ones trying to do it and we're not understanding that we're not the ones that can do it. It's not, in a, in a sense, it's not our job. Now, I don't mean that in an antinomian sense. It is our job, that's why we're in this predicament. But we can't get there. We can't correct it. So it's not our job in the sense that if if there is hope to be had, 
we, we can try all these different ways. We're going to keep failing. It's not, it's not our job. that It's not ours to complete because we can't do that. We're incapable. Yeah, it was interesting to me the other day, um, kind of like a moment of um, self-awareness of, you know, how stupid I am. Uh, so I was taking a shower. I tend to do my best, like, religious thinking when I'm in the shower because, uh, A, Luther says, remind yourself you're baptized, but B, I'm trying not to think about, what, like, what's happened to my body, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> so I have to distract myself. But so um, yesterday... Um, my oldest got her ACT scores, and so she, she got a 36 on her ACT. So she's definitely her mother's child. I did. I was nowhere near touching a 30. I think that's exactly what I what I messaged you when you when you told us. Is I said hashtag Trisha's kid. Yeah, right? and so. um, <laughs> but I was thinking in the shower, and like all of a sudden, like I realized, I'm thinking about this thing as like a vindication of my parenting, like, <laughs> you know, oh, you know how someone else has parented on this, sure, or they've done sure. that and this, like. I'm now, I was finding like a sense of righteousness and identity in what my kid did. Now, A, I didn't do it, right? Um, I was probably, you know, almost done with seminary when I finally realized I should take academics seriously. Um, but uh, no, God gave a good gift, right? He, he gave her this gift that she did well, right? Um, but what I took was something I should just simply be happy about for her, and, you know, I did break the Facebook fat, fast, or fast to kind of post how proud I was of her. And I honestly did not do that to be bragging on me. I'm, I was proud of her. Um, but it's easy to see how quickly, like, I could turn that into now something about my value. Nothing about my parenting had changed. Nothing about my value as her father. Nothing about her value to me ought to have changed in that Um but that was something I was very happy to project, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just that's just how easy, and we're taking the social media side of technology here, but that's just how easy. Now, I didn't throw out there, um, you know, that at like midnight when I should have gone to bed, I ate a peanut butter sandwich, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, or uh, that I didn't get as much grading as I should have got done, or... You know, it it enables us to be very selective in how we deal with ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it becomes problematic to self-reflection and self-examination because it's it's problematic to meaningful thought. And we'll have to move on to the next one. But one of the things I found, it, and I out of the four of us on the podcast, I'm by far on social media the most. Um, and uh, I'm probably, on, you and Ben are probably more on the computer, more for work. Mm-hmm. But I spent a lot of my life on the computer, and A, for work, but, but B, wasting time. My, uh, the ability for me to hold extended thought is just so far away from what it used to be. The ability for me to just sit down and read is so far away from what it used to be. And I think this is something, too, that becomes problematic about trying to find our goodness and our righteousness in technology is when we view the Christian life largely as being the passive life, it's reception from God, it's meditating upon his promises, it can become a real hindrance to our ability to both um, in an extended fashion consider ourselves, but also to meditate and consider God his creation and um, and what he has to, to say to us, it becomes a, a 
a mediating influence um, that I think can be problematic too. And I, this is not to bet. I have friends I would not have had if it weren't for social media. I have had research opportunities and ideas and help that I would not have had if it weren't for social media. Um, we wouldn't be having this con this conversation with you as a listener if it weren't for technology. But what I mean is is how easily we can then turn what ought to be um, something that's instrumental to human flourishing um, into something that we think is the flourishing itself and therefore undermine both ourselves and our shalom. Yeah, no, so just just to maybe wrap up the technology, which went way longer than, than you said it was going to, but yeah. um, but it's good. The I, I believe you've read or maybe are reading Nicholas Carr's The Shallows. I did read it, yeah. yeah. So, Very good. Yeah, so that was, I just looked it up, 2011, it looks like, is when it came out. But um, Another good one. If you read The Shallows and you like it, read World Without Mind. Fantastic okay. book. No, and um, it's, his subtitle is What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And uh, he talks about how, you know, this is a problem. And I actually just recently told Oliva that um, she needs to read that with, or parts of it with me, like because we need to have yeah. this conversation. Because I... I I've had the exact same experience. By the way, like Aliva was showed me that you guys had got her like a Kindle Fire. Yeah. Um, but then, so w- this is when I took her to the Renaissance Fair. But like people in North Korea can do more on their Kindle Fire than Aliva can. <laughs> like she was describing, like the amount of time she gets on it, where she can go. Um, so it's not like Aliva is lost on screen time. No. I'll just say. <laughs> no, but this is this is the conversation she, she says. She go to like this three websites so... and. And all of them extol Peter's greatness. <laughs> well, I did. I didn't know you had golfed thirty-five holes in one. I did write those. Uh, <laughs> I did write those websites for and a reason. And you wrote a unicorn once. <laughs> um, no, but the, that, this is why we, we've brought it up. Is because she's she wants you know more access and, and more freedom. And I say I want to. I want you to get there, and I want to be there. But you just have to understand what's going to happen. And part of it is that I used to be able to just focus my brain a whole lot better than I can yeah. now. And and I I pretty sure that that has a lot to do with with how the um the the time that i spend on the internet how the how information is given to me now the you know opening up an old dusty book from the from the library that hasn't been checked out for eight years um that used to be something that i did on a you know almost daily basis when i was in graduate school and i could sit there and pour over it and that's hard for me to do now and and that's and that's frustrating and it's uh it's not that there's it's not that there's a lot of very, very good things about technology and the internet in particular, and I would not have my job if it weren't for that. And I right. very much enjoy my job, and I think that there's a wonderful things that happen. But we just need to be aware of what's happening. And this, we, we, we can maybe get into this in our self-help section because this is getting more uh, far, farther afield, but it's just recognizing the dangers. So if there's anyone out there saying, no, technology is great, it, this, this, I, I'm buying into the progress, just there are, there are some pretty obvious places where you where you should be kind of given pause speaking of attention span i just looked at my phone because ben messaged record low first half scoring for michigan since 1940 something in the tournament wow it is halftime texas tech 24 michigan 16 ouch this is like a sixth grade basketball or more like a fourth grade basketball game where um yeah and Maybe I so, I think Peter, if we're okay, maybe we go along on this one, try to wrap it up. Yep. Rather than so go another. Let's episode. move on to the next one. The, I don't know. think we have to hit social justice a lot because you guys are well aware of it. Social justice, once again, this is not a bad thing. Um, in fact, uh, many of the ideas of civil liberties or human rights um, grow out of Christianity. The idea that someone has value because they have life and life is from God. Um, so questions of human value in life are not um, 
qualitative or quantitative, right? Utilitarian. Um, but there's something that's given by God. But as a way of projecting righteousness or trying to find righteousness, there will be no end to the to efforts to extend civil rights or to create civil rights causes. Um, even some that to, uh, to certain people may seem rather ridiculous um, because there are some who find their righteousness and their goodness in being a part of that cause and being, as people like to say, on the right side of history. Now, there are certain things that are on the right side of history. Um, being anti-slavery, I would say, is the right side of history, right? I'm happy to be on that side. I believe Peter's on that side, too. He's <laughs> nodding yes. Um, but this is something in our day, just that term that's come up even of virtue signaling. And and it gets overused, and it, it can sometimes be unhelpful. But there is something to us imbuing social causes with religiosity, um, with a righteousness that makes one a good person or a bad person. So Mike had talked, uh, I believe, last time about um, plastic, right, and how we can imbue daily life with meaning. And this can be a very good vocational thing. So that I can be conscientious about um, if I'm using a straw or not use a straw is not necessarily a bad thing. But when I veil, when I see my human value or my righteousness or my goodness caught up in a straw, I have now diminished all of those things because those things are found in so much more than a straw. Now, as a Christian for whom Christ died, um, who will leave a, a world to my children and to my neighbor, when I see a whale get caught open in 25 pounds of plastic or 75 pounds of plastic pulled out of it, I go, uh, yeah, that's probably not good, <laughs> not ideal. Or like if there's like a turtle dying in like uh, those plastic things they used to, Coke cans used to come in. <laughs> yeah. I'm not like, yeah, we got that turtle. Uh, <laughs> but um, just, just something to keep, and this is on the right and on the left. There are There's social justice warriors, so to speak, on the right and on the left, right? Mm-hmm. This is the irony of when they go at it. Sometimes I'll watch them fight and just say, uh, and they call each other social justice warriors and snowflakes, and I'm just like, uh, you're both doing the exact same thing, bro. <laughs> um, but this too can become... Um, when it becomes virtue signaling, to use that term, right? What, what am I doing? I'm signaling my virtue, my worth, my goodness, my righteousness. Um, and uh, and what, it, what it ceases to be then is neighbor-focused because what my neighbor get, gets caught up in is in this mass movement. So we've all been or seen the social justice warrior, to use that term, and I don't really like that term, but for my purposes, let me use it, who will walk past their neighbor in need because they're concerned about a bigger cause and so if you've never read The Brothers K by Dostoevsky, um, I highly recommend it. But at least, if you get a chance, read the section, The Grand Inquisitor. Um, it's a short section. You can find it online as a PDF or you can order it cheap through Amazon. Um, and Ivan, the brother Ivan, is a perfect case of this where Ivan tells you know, these terrible stories about children who are suffering or things like this. But he could not care less about that individual child. What he means, he just uses the story to further his cause, right, his grand cause. And what he loses in the midst is his neighbor. And so he's talking to his brother Alyosha, who famously at the end plays on Ivan's story of the Grand Inquisitor and kisses his brother um, Alyosha, who when um, Ivan tells these stories, just wants to hug these children, right, just wants to go see that children, that child and, you know, tell, tell that child about the love of God. Um, this can become the danger too is that we, it's a righteousness that is of no value to my neighbor because it sees my neighbor as too insignificant. 
I'm about the big thing. Um, and uh, lots of terrible things have happened in humanity because of people getting caught up in that, um, you know, where for this great cause, for the sake of people, humanity, 50,000 people got to die, okay. Um, and uh, and so I guess that's my, that would be the short shrift of what I bring up in that regard. Yeah, no, I would, I mean, the, the whole idea that the, Neighbor gets lost in the grand scheme is the note you wrote here, and that the that the idea that when when the 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 ideal becomes more important than the individual, and so you're going to build the new heaven, but you don't have time to care about the individuals right. you want. There it won't for. be any inhabitants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, and I think Mike said in the last episode when we were talking about um, the identity um, movements, he said when you have identity, you. Um, when when the focus is identity, it can't be on vocation. It needs to be more vocational, and you know, and because vocation is about individuals and worrying about you know seeing them as as you know, um, well, individuals that you can help. Right? What did he say? That a human human person that you can help yeah. out. That's what he said. Right. You want to cure poverty? Great, but there's a poor person right, right. there. Exactly. And I think in this in this this gets to that same point. You have these larger ideals that end up getting in the way of actually doing what the larger ideal is, you know, as, at least ostensibly designed to do. And um, again, it goes back to it's the, the, then why are you doing it? Well, it makes you feel pretty good about yourself, doesn't right. it? And in fact, it makes you feel pretty good about yourself because you can look at yourself and say, better than that guy, better than that lady, right. better than that And that's the, not that to group. say you shouldn't have a sense of satisfaction from doing good things. Um, we're built to find joy in service, um, but yeah, when it becomes my, it becomes just about my joy, or my, then this is where it becomes problematic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I have their last just self help, and all of this could be categorized some categorized somewhat under that. But if there's any people who love self help, it's Americans, right? And um, I guess well, I would there's just a say, lot of bootstraps that need pulling. So. Yeah, this notion that I'm gonna fix myself, I'm gonna get my point uh, myself to the point of a uh, um, really being independent of others in many instances um, or of reaching the point that I can be content with myself. And everyone has had that experience of you finally do accomplish the thing you were trying to accomplish and you're not necessarily all that much happier. Um, I've had several phases where I've gotten in very good shape, for instance. Before I took the call to WLC, actually, I was in really great shape. And I, and I do. I I like going to the gym. Even better shape than you're in right now? Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, but there is a good satisfaction. that Getting in shape is good. I'm not saying it isn't. Um, but at the end of the day, you're just a more in shape version of yourself. <clears throat> Maybe you get in a better economic situation. You're a more economically viable version of yourself. And so, um, but if you look at the great self-help gurus or the books, how do they sell you these things? Well, they sell these you these things often with some sort of eschatological dimension or some sort of shalom dimension of this is going to deliver more than you're in shape. This is going to deliver more than you have money in the bank. This is going to deliver more than that you uh, your marriage is, is better or your kids are, are um, more obedient. Uh, there is a dimension. There's something we want in that that it's never going to give. Um, but there's a reason that uh, the self-help industry is just a huge industry um, that, I mean, every decade it's a new thing. Every year it's a new thing. 
Um, and the reason there's why why are there, why is there always a new thing? Because the other one didn't deliver what people really wanted in it. Um, and we or see maybe, this has made its way in even Christianity that there are some churches now that are really more self-help groups um, mm-hmm. than uh, Ecclesia got the, the, the home of the gospel. Right. No, and, and I was going to say, maybe the maybe it actually did deliver what it promised. It's just that when it was delivered, you realize that you were still, <laughs> still yourself, right? That that wasn't actually what you wanted or maybe what you needed um the the amount the number of books that are out there and there's there's a lot of great things i mean like like you said getting in shape you know getting your financial house in order these are good things these are things that i aspire to you know i can tell just (laughs) i try to i try to you know convince myself that i need to start doing them now but these these are not bad in themselves but we all know um the 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 quote-unquote gospel preachers of these different self-help help, um, you know, methods, and, and we kind of look sideways at them and say, whoa, I don't, you know, like, what's going on here? There's something more there. They're not just trying to get their fiscal house in order. They're trying to get something else in order, and they're so convinced that this is what it, this is going to fix what they're, you know, yep. what they're lacking, that they're willing to go and preach it to everyone that they know. Again, nothing wrong with doing these things. And, you know, I mean, if, you know, you should share with, you know, friends and family things that, that make you happy. But when it becomes something, when, when it Unless starts... Unless it's a pyramid scheme, then don't share it with me. <laughs> well, yeah. When it starts getting more, uh, when it starts taking uh, the place or trying to fill uh, a, an emptiness that isn't about whatever the specific you know, area is, you, you, there's a real danger here and we're going back to the whole thing. We need, we need something. We need to, f- we need to fix. We, I don't mean that like in a, in a drug addict sense, right. we need something to fix us, right? right? What is going to fix us? And we've looked all these different ways. And so, you know, we go through all the different, you know, we're going to deny ourselves. We're going to do extra works. We're going to make a bargain. We're going to look to politics. We're going to look to identity. We're going to look to technology. We're going to look to, I missed one. What's the last one we just did? Oh, the social justice. Like, yeah. We're going to look to all those things. Now we're going to look to ourselves just straight up self-help, right? You can do this. You're, what is Joel Osteen's famous book? Your Best Life Now, I think, right? Like, yep. Your Best Life Now, you know? I mean, like, like one of the like, least Christian titles ever. <laughs> I know. There it is, right? Now it's, now it's up to you. And in all of, these, all of these, we're looking to fill a void that we're just not capable of filling. And so we're always going to, follow, we're always going to be left wanting. And even if it, even if we feel like oh no things are going really well I'm getting there this is like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna be okay if we're true if we're honest with ourselves in the end we're always going to say no it didn't it didn't do it so I don't know if that's if no I'm and I think this is it, something but. too that um, addiction programs can be really helpful with or um, that they recognize as a danger is right the addict when if so the addict goes to A N A whatever the case may be. Um, thinks that once I once I get sober, then my problems will go away. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they warn, right, is, no, once you get sober, you're going to be faced with the problems that drove you to try to address these things. And uh, there's a number of just famous authors, for instance, who got sober for an extended period of time and then killed themselves, mm-hmm. right? Because um, at the end of the day, um, getting sober wasn't a bad thing, but it on- only more confronted them with, this thing that took an enormous amount of effort um, 
still didn't fix them, right? There was still something lacking. And the drug or the alcohol or the, the gambling or the sex was just something that they were pouring into that um, or was, were trying to put off wrestling with that with. Or was creating the distraction, right? I mean, right. it was pushing it away by, by creating something else. Right, so. so you get over the pink cloud or whatever you want to call it, and then you recognize there's still not shalom, right? And so, you know, one of the things that will be encouraged for people is you need to get yourself involved in something, um, find something to put yourself into because there is a real danger in uh, being left alone with the, the awareness that I just fixed this biggest thing in my life that was the problem and I'm still not whole, right? Um, and, and the self-help kind of industry markets to that awareness of our lack of wholeness. And uh, and so to get maybe to how I close this out, and we won't unpack all of these, and we've done episodes on some of these, but what what really happens with justification, and um, Bonhoeffer's really good on this. I don't, I'm not endorsing everything in Bonhoeffer's ethics, but there's some really good stuff. You, you have to work through it and think through it. Um, but he's really good about what we see in the person of Christ is someone who took all of this unwholeness, took all of our sin, took all of this suffering, up into himself. Um, and and then thus, through justification, through the preaching of the word, not only declares that wholeness to be ours, which needs to be an article of faith because we we feel our lack of it as sinners still here, um, but also becomes this figure um, who is meant to draw the unwhole and the suffering and the sinful unto him, Right? Um, the crucifix is like the battle flag of the unwhole and the sinful. And right, it says, "Here's one of you." So he who became sin, or he who right had no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so justification, while it has to be this side of the grave, a believed declaration, um, really becomes this great beckoning. Um, through faith into union with God, which then becomes internal. Um, uh, the con- right, the baptism becomes an appeal of a good conscience to God. Even that's against my better judgment because I know I should have a bad conscience, um, but also becomes external too in that my neighbor is also one, whether or not he or she believes it, who has been taken up into Christ, right? Um, and so this redemption um not only puts me to death and my will to death, but puts to death all of these things that we've talked about and then raises us and raises them, the good of them, that is, um, to be salt and light in the world and to be um, for my neighbor. Uh, I've, I've been writing in the front a couple of his great uh, quotes, but he has on, on page 55 in my copy, the deed of God is Jesus Christ, uh, the deed of God is Jesus Christ, comma, is reconciliation. Um, that this in a person and in an act is now our reconciliation and is ours. Um, and that then, I have an image, I have an identity, um, I have a heaven, a utopia coming, um, which is not a utopia anymore. It's not because utopia means no place, right? It is a place. Um, I have a helper. Um, this this then imbues the Christian with a meaning and a purpose um, 
beyond that, any of, the, any of these things can apply. He has a great section there, too, where he gets on why the godlessness of the West will always be worse than any other godlessness. <laughs> and he says, you know, the godlessness of the Greeks was actually at least, it had some pretty good stuff to it, you know, Aristotle and Plato. And he says it's because the West can never be godless without rejecting Christ. Just hmm. built into our history is Christ. And we see this in um, in these developments that seek a righteousness. And this is why the Enlightenment, um, many who had this high view of the goodness of man um, also have an antipathy or hostility towards Christianity. Um, Western godlessness is always then a rejection of Christ. And in that is an exacerbation of our disunion. Yeah, well, not you, a uh, a um, a healing of it. And you would have to, if you're if you're honest about it, have an antipathy towards Christianity if you believe that um, man is or humans are at root good, because that doesn't that doesn't jive, right? Um, he has just one more line, Peter, and then okay, I'll let you yep. react. Um, he says, "Unlike the beasts, man can put himself to death of his own free will." Mm-hmm. Um, if you think of it, an animal can't really kill itself, right? We're the only one who can choose death. Um, and all of these things in the end, when they become the route for righteousness and shalom, become a choosing of death. Mm-hmm. Um, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the the idea that if you are if you want to make the case that you know people are generally good, that's I mean like they're. They just make bad decisions. They just get they, they get corrupted along the way. Get corrupted by by bad people, maybe. But generally, they're good, right? The idea that you know the baby is innocent and the baby's holy. Um, if you have that view, Christianity's really hard to swallow. Um, and it goes back to this this question of um, if I come up to you and say, "Don't worry about it. Jesus died for your sins, and you're forgiven." That is terribly insulting <laughs> to someone who yep. believes that they're a good person because they're saying, what are you talking about, my sins? What are you talking about? I don't need this Jesus guy's help. I don't need God's help. I don't need your help. Get away from me. It's insulting. Um, it would be like uh, you know, someone coming up to you and saying, oh, I can see you're having trouble you know, paying for your groceries. Let me, let me just cover that for you. And you say, I'm not having trouble paying for my groceries. I'm fine. Get out of here, right? I mean, the, for an American, that would probably, for a lot of Americans, at least that would be really kind of like, you know, frustrating. Like, no, I'm taking care of my own stuff. Um, but this, this is where, this is where we're at with Christianity. And this is, this is where, um, with Lutheranism in particular, the depravity of mankind of, of humanity is is really central you have to understand that and all of these areas that we've been going through where we're talking about the, the different laws that we use to attempt that we attempt use to attempt to justify ourselves and they all what we've been trying to get at is they all come they'll fall, come up short they all fall short and that's that's because they don't have an they don't have a, a complete answer they recognize a problem or a, they recognize the problem maybe or at least part of the problem and they attempt to answer you know that part of the problem but they can't they can't correct what's really you know what's really bugging us in the at, at root yeah and pastor um ben zach who's been on the show before just had a fantastic sermon in chapel here the other day um they invited him to preach and he talked in there about how um a preschool teacher had written something about how kids will freely and joyfully play on the playground so long as they can see their parent. Hmm. 
right? Knowing their parent is there, seeing their parent there enables them to now see the playground and enjoy it. And Bonhoeffer has a similar thing. He says, seeing Christ, right? Having our eye on Christ enables us now to see the world. It enables us um, now in confidence and freedom and joy to see neighbor. And I think that that's something with all of these things that's to be kept in mind. Any of these things that take our eye off Christ really enable us to do any of these things that are good things well. Um, and, and so this is something that's not only for the Christian's righteousness and peace, um, but it's also for good of our neighbor and how God really sets us free to be salt and light for neighbor. And we take, when we take our eye off that, um, off of Christ crucified and risen for, for, for sinners, um, all those things we want to improve inevitably can only become more disjointed and, and problematic over the long term, that is. Uh, and so I, I just, if I can read, Peter, I want to read a little bit Do from Bonhoeffer. And then, yep. So this is, um, once again, from his ethics. And uh, it's a little bit longer section, but I'll, I'll try to read it coherently. He says, It is not Christ who must justify himself before the world by the acknowledgement of the values of justice, truth, and freedom, but it is these values which have come to need justification, and their justification can only be Jesus Christ. It is not that a Christian culture, and he has quotations there, must make the name of Jesus Christ acceptable to the world, but the crucified Christ has become the refuge and the justification, the protection and the claim for the higher values and their defenders that have fallen victim to suffering. It is with the Christ who is persecuted and who suffers in his church that justice, truth, humanity, and freedom now seek refuge. It is with the Christ who found no shelter in the world, the Christ who was cast out from the world, the Christ in the, of the crib and the cross, under whose protection they now seek sanctuary, and who thereby for the first time displays the full extent of his power. The cross of Christ makes both sayings true. He that is not with me is against me, and he that is not against us is for us. Um, and I think uh, at the end of the day, that's what justification boils down to, um, and that's what the person and work of, of Christ boils down to. And that's what makes law and gospel um, the lens for life. At the end of the day, um, the primary role as it relates to sinners is to show us both our own inadequacy um, and the inability, um, the idolatry that's really behind um, turning any of these good gifts that are meant to be received and employed for neighbor um, into a vehicle for what Christ himself has already accomplished and done um, in the cross and through the the resurrection. And then what the gospel does is, uh, so the law is penultimate. Um, the law is anything which shows me my need. And um, what the gospel then does is, is fills that need, and not in a way that I necessarily emotionally always feel it, right? In many ways, the gospel is contrary to my feelings often, but in a way that it is proclaimed and declared when it's rightfully preached as an accomplished fact. It's just done, deal with it. Um, what it does is um, it frees me from all these paths um, and, and, and says, you have and you are. You have and you are what you're seeking. Um, so that now, um, 
my purpose, my identity, my allegiance, my righteousness, my shalom, all this is secure. It's still an article of faith, this side of the of the grave. Um, but I, I now am free to have hope and to love. And and that's where this is this is a lens for life. Um because it's it's really what Jesus means when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, everything else we do when we're alive, but it's not life as God has intended it for us. It's not um, life, real life here, um, but it's also not life for our neighbor in the end either. I'm not in a salt and light kind of way. I'll kind of wrap up with that, and I'll let you go where you want to go, Peter. I don't want to go too long. No, on I, I think that that's, I mean, that's, that's good, and the... the the idea of seeing it through these lenses as we go, as we went through these different, you know, ways that we use the law or that we try to justify ourselves in different ways. Um, we've, we said quite a few times, we could probably go back and count, but it'd be a be high number that this isn't in itself a bad thing, right? This can be a really good thing. And you said we turn, we turn these into idols or ourselves into an idol oftentimes is what's happening. And, but that doesn't mean that we start out by saying, how can I make myself an exactly. idol today, right? It's that this is what happens because of this situation in which we find ourselves as sinners and saints simultaneously in this life. And we struggle with this. And so to understand that and balance, and, and balance is the wrong word because it's not a balance of it. It's, it's recognizing that, they, that they're in contradiction with one another simultaneously that's the the symbol is the important part there right yeah. that it's at the same time and so when we when we recognize that that as our situation then understanding all of these different um attempts at at justifying ourselves or finding our own righteousness we can understand that in and of themselves they, they need not be bad in fact sometimes they are wonderful they're right. great things and they, i can want civil rights for my neighbor because it's good for right my and when they get turned out and it's not about my righteousness because you know what i don't need to worry about my righteousness anymore that has been taken care of i am freed now because of that righteousness that I have that is outside of me, that's been given to me. So now I'm freed to actually care about my neighbor and their, you know, civil rights or to care about politics even, or to care about, you know, 75 pounds of plastic in a whale. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was going to say, or, or saying what, what would be good for, what would be good for me as a person? Maybe I need to abstain from certain, you know, certain things right now, because that would be good for me. Maybe to focus my mind, maybe because it's just a reminder that, Hey, I'm becoming a little too dependent on this. Or maybe because that thing has taken me captive. Right. And, and in so doing it, it, will then hopefully free me up to, to fulfill my vocations as, you know, for me personally, as a father and as a husband and as an employee and all these things. It'll, it'll free me up to do those more fully. But again, that, that's the proper alignment of it. And in that, in that moment, the, the, if it is the law, it's saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then we need to fall back and realize that's Jesus working through us, right? Yeah. That's God's work We have a law already us. fulfilled. We are freed from having to fulfill it. Um, now we get to do it. Right. Yeah. And when we fall back and say, you know, oh, I thought I was doing a really good job, and now all of a sudden I'm realizing it's not. Uh, um, I'm, I'm actually failing. I'm, I'm, you know, I've gone too far, and I've done something, something incorrect. Then we understand, oh, no, that's the, saint, that's the sinner in us. But that does not, this, is, uh, this would be my most important point, that does not in any way change the saint Amen. Because the saint is what God said, not what we do. 
Yep. That's what God did and what God says, and it's given and to it's us done. not not from our own work. We can't we can't change that in one sense. Now that's not to say that you can't reject you know um, the the grace that's been given to you. I I, I believe that that's not. Thing. But we can't accept it. It's not yeah. something that we say, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go and choose Jesus now. That does it doesn't work that we way. We can choose death, but life is a gift. Exactly. No, yeah. it's like the, it's like, you, we want to say that if you have one side of the coin, there has to be the other. But that's just not the way it works. And I know that doesn't make sense, but that's the that's the the struggle of understanding this this simile. Yeah. As we wrap up, just a quick update, Peter. Um, they are now about four minutes into the second half. See that. And I bet Mike is excited. Michigan has gone on a court scoring spree. They have two points this half. It is now 34 to 18. That's they great. are losing. Um, so Texas. So in this half, Texas Tech has scored 10 points, um, but Michigan has scored two. Right. And then Mike messaged us. <laughs> okay. I should have recorded this is terrible basketball. <laughs> um, I told him this was going to be the danger of if he didn't record to watch the Michigan game. Yeah. As if they lose, I'm going to tell him he. he was the bad mojo or probably did did he probably caused this yeah right um also uh in chapel the other day after chapel pastor lyon the campus pastor here at the college was telling me that he's enjoying the law and gospel series but that we've been saying the word imbued a lot um he noticed and he wasn't being critical he just said it was like apparently our new word and so he joked he was going to turn it into a drinking game (laughs) so uh i just wanted to say imbued 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 and uh, stay off the road, Pastor Lion. So, um, the, uh, but hopefully you found this series helpful. We did go a little longer on this one, but um, I really don't think we wanted to make it a part four. We'll want to move on to something else for people. Um, but hopefully you found it somewhat helpful. Um, you probably noticed there's a lot of Let the Bird Fly themes that came up throughout. Um, I think what we're really talking about at the end, Peter, is... Uh, um, life in a world given back to us which is the subtitle of the podcast so um hopefully you will forgive us uh for going a little long and for making this a three-part series uh but in the end we're not too concerned because we know christ forgives us and that's where our righteousness and uh fulfillment is found and so we hope you will join us uh, in letting the bird fly uh, every evening when the sun goes down get my body and i begin to cry i don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a tanker. I set him up, another round. I set him up, another round. I set him up, another round. One more round won't get me down.